right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And Kansas gets a big win over Texas last night. We're going to talk all about it throughout the show today. We've got... A guest-loaded show as well. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World at 340. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports at 440. KJ Wright of Seattle Seahawks fame at 520 to break down the Super Bowl. We got high school hoops going on on our sister station tonight. 90-9 the poll. Uh, 530 will be the girls game. Pre-game a little before that. Boys game will be after. We'll be out of Free State High School. And uh, Nick will have the girls game. I'll have the boys game. So, Sharon Collins got yelled at by the official last night. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, First of all, welcome back to the show, by the way. Yeah, thank you. gone for, thank like, you. forever. I know. I've missed Friday, missed Monday. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. Are they, Is there some sort of residual effect of getting yelled at at the ref? Can he, like, not yell at the refs tonight as we're calling his game? I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, huge news. <laughs> okay. Huge news. Uh-huh. The biggest news of all time. Is it that I'm back? Besides the fact that you're back. Oh, okay. Which, by the way, I'm not back for very long. I'm going to be out <laughs> Thursday and Friday. Anyway. Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show today. Said that he's going on a darkness retreat in a couple weeks. What does that even mean? Four days in a little house in complete darkness just by in himself. In a little house. Now, Derek, I would like to give you a little flashback to you. You may recall a few weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer now, on one of our shows, I mentioned how... Aaron Rodgers was going to go on top of a mountain somewhere and meditate and make a big deal out of it to determine whether or not he's going to come back and earn $50 million or whatever next season. And look what happened. Yeah. I was right. No, you're right. I was right the whole you're time. Right. Uh, by the way. Uh, by the way, would, would you go on a darkness retreat? Would you do that? No, I would not. That, you wouldn't lock yourself in a cabin for four days no, in complete darkness? No. Why not? That, that, sound, that, that sounds like horrible. A- that sounds like jail. <laughs> sounds like you're in solitaire. Why Solitary. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. Ask Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I continue to believe Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady both going to play next year. Why else Why else would Tom Brady be like, no, I'm not starting the announcing thing until 2024. So he left the year open so that by the time we get to August and training camp, he can be like, oh, I'm coming back. <laughs> Got you again. Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I meditated on it a while, and turns out I do want $50 million. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. I'm going to go sit on a mountaintop and home for a couple days yeah. to decide if I want to get paid a lot of money. Here's it another turns out, idea. Yes, I do want to get paid a lot of money. You don't really need to meditate to figure that one out. Anyway. Uh, paid a lot of money to suck, by the way. <laughs> are you ready uh, for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Sports Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 5 to 8 central time to see what prop bet's going to be boosted. Um, right now, 
you can bet on all sorts of things with the Super Bowl. One of the ones that I found here on DraftKings that I'm definitely hitting up for this game is the sack number. Did you see this? You can bet on over-under total sacks okay. for the game between okay. both teams combined. Oh, between both teams. Yes. Okay. What would you guess that number's at? Mm, it's probably like six. It's four. Oh. I'm definitely taking the over, I right? Would, I guess by my answer, I would take the over, too. I mean, if it ends up getting four, then you push. If it's five or more, you're talking about the Eagles have the third most sacks in NFL history. They have four different yeah. defensive linemen with double-digit yep. sacks. Chiefs have Chris Jones, which on its own. Also, Frank Clark, one of the most decorated postseason sack artists. So, like, Yeah, I guess, I guess from the perspective of the books, it's like, with Jalen Hurts being able to scramble around a lot, like you're you're almost banking on the Eagles getting like three sacks on their mm-hmm. own, and then the Chiefs maybe get one, or maybe the Eagles have to get all of them. But I think the Chiefs will get a couple. I mean, sure, Jalen Hurts is mobile, but I think they'll still be able to track him down a couple times. Yeah, I like the over there. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code KLWN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amount limits vary. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and resort. KU takes down Texas 88-80 to in a top-10 showdown in Allen Fieldhouse last night, a game that Kansas got out to a very exciting start. It felt like at some point early in the game when it was like, I don't know, 19-14, 19-17 or whatever it was, um, that it was like, man, Kansas feels like they're whooping them and they're only up like five points. And then they went on that run. They get up like 30-16. to It felt like you were going to just blow them out. Texas cuts into it. Then in the second half, it's like, oh no, here we go again. And then they pull away at the end, and uh, despite trying to foul every three-point shooter at the end of the game, um, <laughs> KU found a way to win. And you, you didn't love that strategy? 88 88. No, didn't love that. Marcus Carr goes off. Uh, just absolutely crazy, uh, because if you would have said, and, and you could do this a lot of times, like this is the beauty of sports, that there are many ways to win a game. It's not so <laughs> linear. But like, if I would have told you before Monday that Jalen Wilson will have two points against Texas. The KU would go two of ten from three. The Marcus Carr would have twenty nine points. What would you have thought? I would probably have thought that KU would have going to lose by a lot of points. <laughs> yes, and they won by eight in a game that wasn't like that. I mean, Texas never led. That stressful. Yeah, Texas right? never led. Texas never led ever. That's crazy. Yeah, they what? They, they wire, tied wire it, they to wire. One. Yeah, wire to wire for Kansas. Texas tied it twice. And it was interesting because going into that game, and I, I guess I could have added this caveat too to tell you before the game, that Kansas was just going to be completely mangled with injuries. Now, none to their starting lineup, which we know is going to play the majority of the minutes, and that's the most important thing. But still, yeah. you're you're missing your backup point guard with Bobby Pettiford. You're missing two of your, well, I guess three of your backup center options where, um, like if a game like the K-State games happens where Uday and KJ both get in foul trouble, you had Zach Clements against K-State. You don't have him in this game. You're missing all your back. So, like, yeah. You look at all that no, happening. The, the position that on paper you have the most depth at is the five, and now it's the opposite. It's the position that you have the least depth. You have yeah. KJ and Ernest. You don't have Cam Martin. You haven't had Cam Martin. You don't have Zuby. You're not going to have Zach. Down to one backup big with Ernest. I guess your third string center now is Jalen Wilson, at least for the you know the short time being. Um, but like I guess. What's interesting with the injury bug is KU already has had a lack of depth. We, we've known that, and we've seen it in a lot of games. 
and they got tested even more last night. So now your your lack of depth is even more worrisome because you have less options to go to. And basically, you're leaning on those guys that you did have last night with MJ Rice, Joey Estefu, and Ernest Duday. And you basically said, please, please, a little more than normal. And they delivered. They did yep. it. Yep. Mission accomplished. All right, question for you. Yeah. Specifically with Ernest and, and MJ, do you think the fact that, as you've just highlighted, there was not any other bodies to go in the game, do you think that for the freshman Ernest and MJ, knowing that there wasn't anybody behind them, that they weren't just going to get pulled if they messed something up, do you think in some kind of weird cyclical way that allowed them to play more aggressively or more freely, knowing that they were going to have the opportunity to remain out there because there wasn't anybody else? Short answer, yes, very much so. I do think, in a longer answer, that for Ernest, there's been a little little of that the past few games because he's it's not just been this one game where that's kind of been the case, but also Ernest just feels like he's turning a corner. In the case of, I, I think the guy that, that applies to the most is MJ Rice. I yeah. do think it applies to Joe, though, a lot because for Joe, he's viewing it as, well, even though I'm technically the backup too. Listen. Past was not a word that was in Joe's no. vocabulary last night. No, it was not. But you know what? It, it, I don't care. Joe, Joe's goal off the bench is to score. Yes. That's the only thing. And he I did care a good about, job right? of that. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Um, and so he probably viewed it as well, I have to be the backup guard and like there is no other backup, basically, you know, point guard type like me. Yeah. Which he's more still the combo guard, but you know what I mean? To where he viewed it as well. I might as well keep shooting because guess what? If I miss, they're going to have to keep me out there, right? But I think for MJ Rice, it was the most. Because even despite having, I don't know, other... Like, like Joe has, has had a continual role on the team. Might not be as big as he played last night, but he's had a continual role. Yeah. Ernest, the last few games, has had a continual role even when... You know, Zuby or Zach were, were playing. Like, he was still the first big over the bench over Zach when Zach played well against Kansas State. But in the case of MJ, like, there's been a lot of games where he has no, had no role. Or he's he's played four minutes. I mean, if you go back and and look at it, because he played 15 minutes against Texas, that's the most, or the first time he's had double-digit minutes since the Harvard game, which was 10 minutes. It's the most minutes he's played since November 28th against Texas Southern. So the one guy I think it probably had the biggest impact for was MJ. And you might look at the stats and go, ah, but he had two points, one for five, two fouls. Like, was it that good of a game? He had a, I thought he, he played very game. well. Yeah, yeah. He, had a, he had a great game. He was he was clearly invigorated. He was clearly had good a lot defense. of energy, great mm-hmm. defense. He Three was the rebounds. guy that was getting after loose balls quite a bit for Kansas and that was helping lead them into tra- some transition plays. Like, no, he had, he had a great game. Uh, definitely his best game since was it the Texas Southern game where he scored twenty, I think, or whatever. Yes. Uh, so that this was his best game in basically almost three months, easily. I think it's pretty, pretty stark what happens when KU gets good contributions from the bench. I mean, think back to the games that the KU bench has played well. Texas win. K State over top ten team. Yeah, twelve point win over K State. Bench played well. Uh, you got. It wasn't like a great overall bench game, but you got enough bench contributions, and I th- I certainly think it was a great bench game for the bench centers against Kentucky, win that game. Yep. You can even go back to like Oklahoma, win down ten. Zach, Zach Clements. Zach Clements had a good game. Yeah, off the bench, you win that game, and then you probably go got to go back to the non-con before that. Yeah. So I mean, uh, because last night you had Jalen Wilson struggle. Yep. And. 
everybody had to step up. There was more pressure on that being the case, and they did. But if you don't get that bench performance, it just doesn't happen. Dewan was probably the MVP of the game. The, the way he controlled the game, he scored a yep. 18 or 17 points, had a handful of assists, played really good defense, forced a lot of steals. But, I mean, you could make the argument that Joe Yesifu swung the game more than anyone else. Uh, Texas came into the game one of the best teams in the country in getting bench points. Kansas was one of the worst. I think he outscored them by one. I think it was like 22 to 21 with yep. bench points. 22 to 21 on the bench. Yep. Which, to be clear, like, I don't think is really a stat that I care that much about because if your starters are each playing 30 minutes, like, of course your bench is going to score less. But you still do need your bench to give you something. And last night, yeah. they gave you a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's been few. there's been a few games where Kansas has won with the bench giving zero or a few points, but it's not a long-term recipe for success. You need to have your bench show up for games like this, right, where your best player is not your best player in Jalen Wilson. And I, there, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are going to extrapolate this game out and say, well, Jalen Wilson needs to shoot less. Jalen Wilson needs to be less, less of a player for KU to be at their best. I, I still don't think that's entirely true. Jalen Wilson is your best player, and if you're going to be at your best, you want your best player playing, you're playing his best. I think the difference, though, is like when you look at some of the games that KU has lost is and Bill Self has actually talked about this pretty frequently, that Jalen Wilson is probably the only guy on the team, maybe Joe, but Jalen Wilson's the only guy on the team really that has that ability to forget his last shot and just keep shooting. And we've seen Grady Dick, when he misses a couple, he, there's a difference. Kevin McCuller, there's a difference. Dewan Harris doesn't shoot. There's a difference, right? So I think when you see games where Jalen Wilson is the guy that's scoring so much, it's because when the team collectively is going through a bit of a, a, a shooting spell or a cold spell, those other guys are a lot more hesitant to try to shoot their way out of it than Jalen is. And when and guess what? When you keep shooting, you eventually start scoring again. And that's why you see Jalen have more points in games where KU as a team struggles because I think we've seen Grady Dick shy away from situations where he's been cold in a night and he doesn't take step into a three that he might step into otherwise. Obviously, Dewan at times, like, Dewan's whole character arc of this season has been Bill trying to get him to be more aggressive. And you look at Kevin McCuller, another guy that at times feels like he's more hesitant. So that I think that's the difference, right? So I, I don't read into this game as, well, Jalen Wilson needs to play a smaller role for Kansas to be have a make, make a deep run or whatever or be successful. I still don't think that's true. I still don't think that's true. I think this this was just a great game, a great a great demonstration of, the rest of the team picking him up, right? Yeah. And that's a great sign because yeah. he needed it to happen. I, I think what it is, it's, you know, <clears throat> everybody playing well is with Jalen carrying a big load is more than Jalen playing bad and everybody else playing well, which is more than Jalen playing well and everybody else playing bad. Like the Iowa State game, Jalen played well, pretty much everyone else played bad. But, like, let's not forget, when KU has been at their A-plus game, it's been everybody playing well. Like the Missouri game. You beat a tournament team by 30 points. Jalen had 24 points on 16 shots. He was really good in that game. So for Kansas to be at their best. You need Jalen Wilson. Yes. Everybody has to play like they did against Texas, and Jalen has to get back to, to where he was. But, but this was if obviously, you're choosing between, you know, the KU team that showed up against Iowa State versus the one that showed up against Texas, like obviously you're picking that one. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't have to be uh And an obviously this or. was a great game because you beat a top six yeah. team. Yeah, you beat a top six team at, at home by by eight points. Well, that's the beauty of of Jalen too, is that 
as great as this bench was, I mean, this is back-to-back home games. The bench is really giving you something, which I think there's something to be said about that. They're, they're still trying to get it more consistently, but that's part of the point. Like, this bench is just not going to be as consistent. And so Jalen typically is. Like, that was Jalen's first game in single digits. It was his second game all season long below 14 points. The the idea that, yeah, with Jalen's less involved in the offense, it opens up other... No, they just... Everybody else had better games. And I thought KU did a really good job, and Texas probably didn't do a great job at defending back cuts and cuts to the rim because that's kind of the knock against KU's offense at times. It's that Jalen is the only guy who can create off the dribble at times for the offense. But guess what? If guys are winning off back cuts, they don't really have to create. And they were able to do that against Texas, which yeah. is a good thing. The big takeaway I have here is it's Dewan Harris, right? Mm-hmm. When Dewan Harris, and again, I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit, but when Dewan Harris is aggressive, when he is looking to score more, when he is really in the zone, so to speak, that is what is the difference maker for Kansas in, in, in games like this. And that's exactly what he had uh, against Texas last night. And I think another thing for Kansas that I think should be exciting for KU going forward is they made the adjustment. They knew that Texas didn't have a real true rim protector. So what do they do? They played five out, and they forced Texas to chase them all around in the half court and made a bunch of cuts, drove to the basket a bunch of times, 50 points in the paint for Kansas, right? And it wasn't for posting up. It wasn't mm-hmm. for posting up. It was from guys cutting. It was from driving and those types of plays. And that was because Texas did not have a true rim protector. So for me, my takeaway is if Kansas meets another team like Texas or meets teams that are smaller and don't have a traditional rim protector, that's the style they're, that they're going to want to play. Play five out, everybody spread out, and just start cutting to the basket, driving to the basket because they had, they had a lot of success against Texas. And I think I would not be shocked to see that style of offense come back for Kansas, let's say, in the tournament where they face another team that's that's a little bit slower like that. Yeah. Or a little bit uh, shorter, I should say, like that. Well, end of the day, it was important to win. That was basically a must win if you still wanted to win the conference. You lose that game and you're down three games with seven to go. Um, again, if you won out all seven, like, sure. Yeah, I, so I guess in that standpoint, like, statistically, mathematically, not a must win. Um, but, you know, if you want to win the Big 12, which... How much pressure is to doing that this year? Like, obviously, you want to do that. You want the goals to be there. Yeah. I don't know. But you're still in it, and that matters in as good of a league as it is. You still got a lot that you got to take care of now in front of you. It, it never really eases up. Like, if you go out and lose at Oklahoma on Saturday and then lose at Oklahoma State next Tuesday, it's just like back to square one. <laughs> but you got the one you needed to right now, and you put everything in front of yourself. Yeah, to have that opportunity. Last night was just those. Last night, those games are just the games that Bill Self wins. It's what is really it? He's like nine and one, ten and one now against and, like top five well, teams. And he's at home. now I think thirty six and zero on Big Monday. That's insane. Dude's never lost on Big Monday. That's insane. You think he's ever lost? Is on that at Mon- home or just at all? I think total ever. I don't tr- think he's ever oh lost gosh. on Big Monday. That's just insane. You think he's ever lost on Little Monday? <laughs> yes. That's why it doesn't count. If he, if he if they lose, they're just like ah. I don't it's know. Little I think Monday. It was who little cares? Monday. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who gets to decide? <laughs> uh, he's uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're gonna take a timeout. We got some uh, Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk recap next. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, will join us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate's going to join the show in about 10 minutes from right now. we got high school hoops coming at you tonight on 92.9 The Bowl with Free State taking on Olathe South. Girls game first, boys game after. we got Hawk Talk coming at you after the show tonight here on KLWN from 6 to 7 o'clock. 
The rivalry at the rink is coming back to Cable Dahmer Arena on February 16th. That's next Thursday. We're going to call the game for you here on KLWN. Joel Becker will be on the call of that one. University of Kansas battling the Missouri Tigers on the ice. You can get tickets now for sale. Go to CableDahmerArena.com. And they have group ticket pricing featuring 15% off normal ticket prices if you get a group of eight or more. With Cable Dahmer Arena. Dot com. It's on February 16th, next Thursday. You can learn about other ticket options, birthday party packages, and more at CableDomerArena.com. And, and guess what? We're giving away tickets, too. If you want some free tickets, I have like 50 tickets to give away. I have a tweet pinned to my profile, at Radio on Twitter. Just follow myself, retweet it, and boom, uh, we're going to pick like a dozen winners early next week for... Uh, Who's going to the game for free? We get, or I mean, a bunch of winners to give out. Haven't decided if we're going to give out pairs or, or four packs. So we'll figure that out later. We should uh, do four packs. Give out family fours. I think that makes more sense. Yeah. But then we'd have, we have 50 tickets. So it'd be 12 four packs and then one person gets like a, a pair or something. Just the unlucky 13th winner. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. You have won two straight. Bang. Um, I'd just like to say I was not here yesterday. Nick said that I took these people, but I did not. No, I have. Uh, I'm trying to think the right word. I have text evidence that you, I can submit. Could have just changed the contacts of somebody else. I didn't change and had them. No, because I'm a man of integrity. Going with you. You know, you might have done something like that. But also, me, I didn't do that. I don't think we should count this because I had Bobby Pettiford and, and he ended up not playing. Well, that's too bad. I changed the whole draft. That's too bad. Because. What if? Well, you also had Michael Jankovic. Yeah. So you were you were basically playing with four guys. Well, if I would have not well, actually three and a half because Tyrese Henry got you negative. If I would have known that Bobby Pettiford was not going to play, I would have ended up with Joe Yesifu. What do you think about that? And I would have ended up with MJ Rice. And MJ Rice played and got points. Yeah, seven. And I, I still would have beaten you. Easily. I know he would have one fourteen to fifty six. With an, asterisk, with an asterisk. Was well, not even close. With an asterisk. There's no asterisk. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, Jalen got me only eight. I, yeah, I had a bad day to have Jalen. <laughs> uh, Tyrese Hunter, like you said, negative two. Jankovic Pettiford got me zero. I got 37 from Dewan. That was good. good. Yeah. Ernest got me 13. But yeah, you you had uh, it's more balanced scoring. KJ got you 21. Kevin got you 18. Grady got you 29. Marcus Carr got 19. He scored a bunch, but didn't he do anything else. didn't really do anything else. Well, he he, missed, he four took turnovers a lot too. of shots. He did, yeah. And then the four turnovers, I think he had a couple of fouls. Uh, Joe Yesifu got you 20. So Joe Yesifu, better than Marcus Carr. Definitive proof right yes, there. Yes, 100%. And then MJ Rice got you seven. Yeah, this was a total team effort last night. Uh, I'd like to just give a big shout-out to the boys for, for getting the job done. Uh, it was a big win. You know, we needed it. We wanted to make sure that uh, we got we turned one win into two wins, and we did that. So very, very pleased with the effort from the boys. And... Uh, you know, but we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to look forward. We're going to look ahead. We know we still there's still a lot of season left. We're down a couple games still, but we're gonna we're gonna keep battling. If there's one thing about our team, we never quit. We have great tenacity, and we're gonna battle to the final to the final whistle. Well, this so, is what you it. did last time. You were down like five nothing. You came back. You, you tied it like seven seven. I think at one point you had a lead. Yeah, we're now bit, you're we're down a, twelve to seven. Now you're coming back again. Team. We're a bit of a streaky team. You're J.R. Smith. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Well, hopefully, I remember to, sh- to which direction we're going, though, and that way I don't have to have LeBron James look at me and be like, "What are you doing?" 
Uh, we're going to talk with Matt Tate, Orange Journal World, <clears throat> coming up here in less than five or less than ten minutes. We're going to ask Matt to break down the Rock Chalk Pickahawk standings. And no, uh, we are not. Give us give us thoughts on that. Oh, uh, we're not. Oh, mm-mm, unfortunately. Oh well. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports, though? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 5 to 8 Central Time to see what prop bet will be boosted. You can bet on Kadarius Tony like me, to score a touchdown. 4-1 to odds. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KLWN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued as free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amount limits vary. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com is going to join us to talk a little KU basketball. That next. This is RCSDS. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and that time on a Tuesday to be joined by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. KU takes down Texas last night, 88-80, to and along the way, it wasn't a Jalen Wilson game. Obviously, all the four other starters stepped up, but certainly when this KU team has been getting bench impacts, which we haven't always seen this year, though, now have over the last two home games at the very least with the Kansas State game and the Texas game, it, it really adds a lot to this team. Uh, let me ask you, Matt, there were only three bench players that played in the game um, last night for KU because they were shorthanded with Ernest Uday, MJ Rice, and Joe Yesifu. Which of their three performances do you think is the most repeatable? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, to be honest, probably all three, really. I mean, if you're talking about just having eight guys and and uh, and, and they're hurt, uh, excuse me, those other guys are hurt, and like, you know, Self already said last night that he doesn't expect Pettiford or, or Zuby or who is the other one now, uh, Zach, to be available this weekend. And, and the longer that goes, the, the less you can count on it. And, you know, maybe one or two of them will be back eventually. But then you're talking about March and Rust and all those things, as we've talked about with tons of players in the past. So uh, I think if those guys are completely out, out of the equation, uh, these three guys are going to get opportunities. Um, you know, can self-play? His starters, 38 minutes a game, yeah, sure, he's, he's shown he can do that and will do that. But I don't know that he thinks that's the best move with these guys. And then, of course, you got things like foul trouble and, and, and those types of things that also factor into that. So I, I think as long as the opportunity is real and is, is the same or similar to what it was last night, I, I think they can all three do that. I mean, Joe is great. Asking him to score 14 any given night, it, it seems like a lot, but the way he got them doesn't seem like a lot. You know, that, that makes it seem way more attainable and realistic. Uh, and then the other two, you know, MJ Rice, 
he he competed, and that was the number one thing for him last night. And Self said it too, right? He he said he belonged, and that's pretty big time for a guy who hasn't had any rhythm, hasn't played much at all, hasn't looked super into it over the last few weeks. Uh, for him to just show up in a big game like that against a team like that, uh, and actually look like he belongs out there, that was that was probably the biggest. I guess development or story or, or or reality that came from that. I mean, I think if they can get him going even a little bit, that could change a lot for for this team's ceiling. Um, but but you know, and then you look at Ernest and he grabbed a few boards, he made a few shots, a couple of them on lobs. I mean, you you shouldn't be asking too much of him to to ask to do that if he's going to play real minutes. So I think you know to take the cop out answer, I think all three are repeatable. Um, You'd probably look at Ernest as the number one thing because if if, if I have to answer your question, which you always make me do, um, <laughs> then I'd probably I'd probably answer Ernest just because that element of of what he gave last night, grabbing rebounds on both ends, and then and then catching and finishing lobs. I mean, that's an element that this team absolutely wants and needs from somebody. And when you're down to two bigs. You know, despite despite the fact that we saw Kevin McCullough throw a couple of lobs to Grady last night, and and look, Grady can finish. There's no, I'm not laughing at that necessarily. It's just not ever going to be Grady Dick at the top of your number one. Hey, these are the guys we want to throw lobs to list. You know, so um, I, I think that Ernest will have a bigger opportunity to do that because it's a bigger part of this offense, or at least it needs to be, and they want it to be. So, um, you know, MJ is a wing and they've got lots of wings and, and so he may be limited or it may not matter as much if he goes off if Jalen and Grady and McCullough are doing their thing. So I, I just think that, that if I had to answer, I, I think Ernest is probably the answer, but uh, I definitely think that all three could play like that every every night moving forward and, and I think they might, you know, if given the fact that they're down to eight guys. I mean, they're going, they're going to need them to for sure and, and so now it's just about go out, execute, deliver, and if they do, this is a heck of a lot better team. And and you know they're already a pretty good team. I know people were down on them after Saturday. I know people were down on them after the three game losing streak. But you know I had people coming at me on Twitter saying, "When is?" I think some guy I don't even remember who it was, but I don't know that I'd seen him before. But somebody said, "When are the KU beat writers going to wake up and 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 point out that Self put together a terrible team?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Man, I'm gonna probably stay sleeping. I'll be honest with you. Like, 18 and five, ranked ninth in the country, in the thick of the Big 12 race, the best conference in America. I, I, you know, is it is it his best team? No. Does it have flaws? Absolutely. Um, but but does anybody need to wake up and say it's a terrible team? I, I don't think we're there yet. No, I I don't think so. Uh, building off that same question though, with the bench. So the first part of it was, who do you think is most repeatable? Who do you think they need it to be most repeatable? Like, if they could only have one of those three do what they did last night each and every game, which would be most beneficial? Man, probably Joe, because because it was just such a big impact. I mean, um, he's fast. He he, he he scored some important baskets, sure, but, but I think the way he, he got to the rim was so important, and I think it puts other teams, other defenses on their heels. And and I think that's 
that's where this team is, right? I mean, Self talked a lot last night about paint touches and attacking downhill, and of course that's what he wants all those guys to do, and they did it last night. I mean, McCullough and Grady were phenomenal at that. I mean, phenomenal. Uh, they really attacked with a purpose. They got their shoulders past people, and, and then once that happened and they got into the teeth of the defense, they didn't, like, you know, let up or, or pull up or, or try to do anything creative or cute. They, they just kept going, and, and that led to some and ones. That led to some easy, easy baskets, and, and so Joe fit right into that equation too. So I think since this team is so much right now um, it, understanding how important paint touches are, um, I, I think Joe's the guy they need. It doesn't. That doesn't mean he needs to score 14 points every time he plays, but he needs to play like he did and, and play with that attacking mentality, play with that confidence, and play with that burst and that speed and, and really make things hard on, on your opponents because he does, man. There's times where if you're watching this team, you, you'll see Joe do something and you'll say to yourself, my God, he's terrible. Like, he is not a good basketball player. And then there's other times where he'll do things where it looks like he should be starting for every team in the, in the country, you know. So for him, it's about the confidence and, and, and the rhythm and just settling into what he can be and what his, his best role for this team is. But, um, you know, 14 points or not, whether he gets that every night, I think they just need him to play like that. And if he does, I think the points come. And, and if that happens, then they're that much better. And it takes some of the pressure off the rest of that, that lineup. And, and it's just a really, really good thing for Kansas. Kansas only suited up nine guys, I think, for the game last night, obviously dealing with a lot of different injuries. Going along with some of these bench questions, specifically for guys like MJ and Ernest, who have been maybe struggling to build up consistent roles, do you think for them, kind of in a weird way, maybe they were freed up a bit more to play a bit looser, knowing that even if they messed up, they weren't going to get taken out right away because there was a lack of depth for Kansas? Like, do you think in a way that maybe kind of benefited those guys to sort of play through where they might normally just get pulled out of the game? I think so. You know, I, there's no doubt that 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 probably you know what it did was it just made them focus more, right? Like, I think you can look at it as you just did and say, hey. They know they're going to be able to play through mistakes, but but I would probably counter that a little bit and say, I think what they what they did was realize I can't have mistakes. You know, I, they're counting on me now. I'm one of eight, and I have to play, and I have to bring it, and I have to be good. And and so maybe that sharpened the focus just a little bit, and and that was enough to make a difference. So um, yeah, there's no doubt that that self obviously was going to have to let them play and be a little more free with them and 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 that probably factored in but but I promise you if they were playing like clowns he'd have pulled them just the same right it wasn't he wasn't going to leave them out there um you know kicking the ball all over the floor and tripping over their own feet and and, and being lazy on defense and things like that I mean you know regardless six seven eight nine guys it doesn't matter if you're playing like that you're not going to play for him so I think there was probably the perception and the, and the belief in their minds that they might have a little more freedom, but but I do think that they probably just locked in a little more. And, and if that's what it took, um, to some degree that's understandable because all of those positions have, have so much depth that, that it is it is difficult to go into a game not knowing what your role will be, how much you're going to play, and, and even if your name will be called at all. And so, you know, the fact that they knew they were going to be a part of this I mean, as early as Sunday or Saturday night, you know, I, I think that probably helped them get a little more prepared and, and in the right mindset to go out and actually play to their level. Of the, you know, the capability they have is, is McDonald's All-American type 
athletic, impactful players, and, and you know, they obviously showed they can be that. So, um, big step there, there's no doubt. And now, you know, the only thing that's bigger than, than taking that step is following it up with another one on Saturday. And, and uh, you know, if they don't do that, then all this kind of went for naught, and it, it doesn't matter. But if they do, then you start to wonder, man, maybe they're finding it a little bit. And it is not too late. It's February 7th. There's still plenty of time, plenty of time for those guys to really find their footing and, and, and be what this team needs them to be. Yeah, when you look at the bench over the last three games, two games where they played pretty well off the bench, Kansas State and Texas in wins, and the Iowa State game, not so much, right? Joe had, I think, eight points in the game against Iowa State, but certainly the bench not as impactful on the road. Now if you look at that, you've got a couple of road games coming up. What do you think needs, can change for the bench to continue what they're doing at home now in these last two games and carrying that into road environments? Yeah, that's tough um, because it is hard, you know, with, with – Certainly with MJ and, and Ernest, you're looking at two guys that are still doing this all for the first time and, and haven't played a ton of minutes this year at all. So uh, everything's a little bit new still and, and a little bit different than, than anything they've seen in the past. So, you know, there's still that element of it. Um, and, and even to some degree, that that's the case with Joe, even though he's he's been in college basketball for a while now and, and was here last year. Um, he didn't get consistent run. He wasn't he – wasn't, you know, automatically a rotation type of guy last year, and, and in a lot of ways hasn't really been this year. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's the big question, and, and because of that, I think that that it's probably up to the starters. I mean, there, it is no coincidence that all of those guys, not just the bench guys we're talking about, but but Grady and 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 McCuller and and KJ, even. I mean, it's it's no coincidence that they all played really well because DeWan Harris set the tone and, and dictated that that was how it was going to go. He, he, he was aggressive offensively, as you guys saw, um, but, but even more so defensively. And, and I think that we talked in the summer, they talked in the summer about how this is Jalen and DeWan's team. And in a lot of ways that's been true, but, but in terms of delivering, uh, you know, uh, r- routinely putting up stat lines that, that look like they're carrying a team, that's been Jalen. All of that burden has fallen on him, and, and it's really been Jalen's team all year. But DeWan has that experience. He's got that – he plays the right position, and, and, and he's smart, you know. And so I think that, that maybe we're starting to see a little bit of a transformation into, into what we all thought in the summer, which was that this is going to be Jalen and DeWan's team because there's no reason that he doesn't come out and play like that every night. I mean, it's not always going to go so well. You're not always going to, you know, make half your shots and, and look so good doing it, but there's no reason that you can't come out with that mindset. And I think he probably understands that a little better now. Um, and if, even if he doesn't understand that he has to do it, I think, or, or you know, what to do, um, I think he does understand the importance of doing it. And, um, you know, self talked a ton about that, right? You know, he even used the football analogy that sometimes DeWan just shooting the ball is, is like throwing deep in football. You, you try to loosen up the defense and, and open up other things by, by taking those shots. And, and uh, you know, DeWan's that way. But, but they need him and want him to score, too. So I, I think uh, – I think in order to to have the bench and those young guys continue to to, to deliver, um, they've got to have the right thing to follow. They've got to have a guy like Dewan or Jalen or whoever, you know, leading them and and showing them this is how we're going to play tonight. Follow me. I'll set the tone. This is the, this is the way we'll play. And if they can do that, then I think those guys fall in line. But but look, like as good as everyone was last night, except for Jalen, I guess. You know, they were all that bad on Saturday. And, 
And so that, that shows you, right? Like those young guys, those bench guys, they, they were following the leaders. They were all bad on Saturday, and so everybody was bad. And so I think that's an important part of it. As much as you look to those guys individually to say, hey, what can they give? Um, you know, they, they've got just small roles to play. Uh, it, it's really got to be up to those frontline guys, and and not just Jalen and Dewan, although they're they're the top of the top of the list. But but the rest of that starting five too, they can all set the tone. They can all lead. They can all show the way. And and I think they all realize that, man. I mean, you know, a lot of times you expect that these teams are going to be kind of together and who they are and have found themselves by the time February rolls around. But sometimes. Teams take this long to, to, to figure that out. And, and last year's team was certainly an example of that in, in a lot of ways. And, and maybe this year's team's following in those footsteps a little bit too. So um, we'll see. The next couple of games are, are really big, though, because, you know, you finally get that <laughs> you finally get that break from top 15-type opponents every night. Um, but the, the, the one caveat there is that both of these games are on the road. And, and both of these teams, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, who they play next Tuesday, they've beaten those top 15 teams. And, and obviously everyone knows what Oklahoma did to Alabama. So um, as much as it seems like maybe you're going to say, oh, they hit a little lull here. No, there's no break, man. Playing on the road at both of those places where these teams are both talented and, and tough and tenacious, you know, they're, they're absolutely going to give Kansas the same kind of fight that they've been getting every night right now. So um, if they can get through that, they'll be in this race. And if they slip up in one of these next two, it's, it could be the end of the race for KU, but um, by winning last night, they put themselves right in the thick of it and, and did a favor for everybody else, too, because this thing remains wide, wide open now. He is Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. I know who he'll be rooting for in the Super Bowl this weekend. Uh, you don't want to know. You don't want to know the answer to that. Wait, it's not the Chiefs? <laughs> <laughs> He's taking uh, words from his new head coach, Sean Payton. There you oh. go. There you go. How about that? How about that? No, yeah. dude. Yeah, that, no. Was a, that was an aggressive line. I don't no. know if he flat out said go Eagles, but he he, he made it known. <laughs> Matt, he, listen. He, he planted his flag. He's been, and, the head, and, uh, he's been the head coach for, for 40 hours. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, here's the thing, though, like, if, whether you want to admit it or not, and, and this is going to be hard for you guys to hear, but whether you want to admit it or not, we we all love the Broncos a little bit. Like, we're all born with that, you know, and so you guys do. You might not realize it. Sean Payton did, even when he was with the Saints. And so it just takes that one thing that brings it out in you. So you got, you'll get your day. It'll come for both of you, and, and it'll be exciting when it happens, and, and I'll be here for you. So, you know, you know how to reach me, and, and we'll hug it out when that happens. It'll be a great day. <laughs> Okay. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time as always. You can check out all his work, KUSports.com, LJ World. Uh, appreciate it. Have a good week, man. All right. You guys too, and enjoy the freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll do our best. That's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got some Bill Self audio from last night after the win against Texas. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 440. KJ Wright at 520. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in less than 20 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got High School Sports Weekly coming at you on Thursday night. Nick's going to be out at uh, Burgers by Biggs on the corner of Wakarusa and Bob Billings. Check out this deal, though, ahead of High School Sports Weekly. You have till 9 p.m. on Wednesday, February 8th to, to get this. So this is before High School Sports Weekly. Um, 
with Biggs Barbecue. If you pre-order a $24 slab of their St. Louis ribs by 9 p.m. on Wednesday, February 8th to pick up, and you can it's for scheduled pickup before the game. So you schedule it for pickup Sunday's game before the game at 5 p.m., $24 slab of the St. Louis ribs. If the Chiefs don't win the game, they'll give you a coupon for another slab for free. That works out. So go check that out with uh, Biggs Barbecue. Okay, hey, what's going on over there? We have another edition. Um, I actually have no idea what's going on over there. Oh, it's a good I one. have tasked Nick with finding out what is going on over there. So please explain to me and the listeners what is going on over there. What what are All we right. what are we looking at here? Here we go. Hey, what's going on over there? Iowa Ticket Office versus the Orange Crush. Okay, what are the Orange Crush? The Orange Crush. I'm glad you asked, Eric. The Orange Crush is what the I Illinois student. A section for basketball calls themselves. They're okay. the orange. They're an actual organization. There's not a name for the KU student section, is there? No, no, no. But so the Orange Crush, I think it's more of like an alumni thing. So they oh, do like okay. they do, but but that's what they call the student section. So it's students too. But they do. I think they do some stuff around like the community and stuff. Like they're an organization that does different things. But they're centered around Illinois basketball and the Illinois basketball student section. So the Orange Crush every year since 2002, as part of the Illinois student section, the Orange Crush have selected one Big Ten road game to send some of their students to, 150, 200, 200 students from the Orange Crush. They pick a game on the road in the Big Ten that they send their students to. Okay. This year, they had planned to send 200 members of the Orange Crush to Illinois versus Iowa. That game took place on Saturday. Okay, Saturday, February 4th. Right. They, so this, this was the game that they had planned to send their Orange Crush students to. Everything seems fine. Until Wednesday, the, the official Orange Crush Twitter account published a six-paragraph statement claiming that the Iowa Athletic Ticket Office had rescinded their tickets. Whoa. This is some pretty incendiary stuff here. So right now, that doesn't sound cool by Iowa. They're basically saying you're not allowed to come Correct. here. Well, and li listen, let me get you some of these quotes from the statement. Okay. Quote. Unfortunately, the University of Iowa Athletic Department has today notified us, this was on Wednesday, that they have invalidated all 200 tickets that the Orange Crush legally purchased. As I said, this had been a planned trip. The Orange Crush does this every year. In the, in the statement, the Orange Crush claims that members that were going to the game had received their tickets in the mail back in October. So this had been long planned, hmm. all the way back since before the season even started. <laughs> Why all of a sudden did they, did they cancel? Well, it continues. According to the statement from the Orange Crush, because of how quickly or because of how close the proximity to the game was, they were unable to cancel or reschedule charter buses and recoup money, and they claim that they will lose almost almost six thousand dollars of their thirty thousand dollar year budget. Wow! So almost a fifth I mean, of their fifth, budget yeah, yeah. for the year lost because their tickets got invalidated just days before a game that they claim had been long planned that they were going to go to for many months. They didn't stop there. Quote, so the 20th Orange Crush road trip will have to be delayed until the 2023-24 season, assuming the chosen destination is on a campus with a less fearful athletic department <laughs> than the one representing the University of Iowa. They continue. This just adds to, I don't know if that's a rivalry. But they, they continue. Oh, uh, there's okay. more. Okay. It is disappointing, without a doubt, that we will not get to be there in person to see the game this Saturday. However, we take it as a great compliment that the Orange Crush is a strong enough section to be so feared that an opposing athletic department was willing to sacrifice $5,400 and ruin a sellout in order to turn us away. 
Gary Barta, who is the athletic director of yep. Iowa. So they call out Gar- they call out the, the chair of the college football playoff. They call him out directly. Gary Barta and staff, we issue great thanks to you, to all of you, for the adoration you have shown the Orange Crush through your cowardice. Wow. Bang. Slap in the face. Okay. So, as you said, Derek, right now, the question is, why did the University of Iowa choose, on such short notice, to invalidate what appears to be what the Orange Crush claims legally purchased tickets that they have been in possession of via the mail? I just figured this was being petty, that they didn't want a bunch of visiting fans coming into the arena, which, you know, if they're willing to buy all that, then that's on them, and that's on your fans for not buying the tickets, but I don't know. Okay, so... Everyone wants to know, why did the Iowa Athletic Department void the Orange Cross's tickets on such a, such late notice? Well, the Iowa, the Iowa Athletic Department responded with a statement of their own on Wednesday after oh. the Orange Cross's statement. Here's what the Iowa Athletic Department had to say. Quote, the Iowa Athletic Department became aware of a discounted group ticket order for the Iowa-Illinois men's basketball game on behalf of an Illinois chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. In following up with that organization, it became clear that this was not factual. Oh, no. When contacting the individual who made the original ticket order, they admitted to falsely ordering the tickets under the nonprofit organization. So, okay. Well, yeah, now now this takes a big turn. Because at first, it's like Iowa's being weasels, and that's really messed up, and you're costing people money. So now it turns into they have a valid reason, and somebody is using... A so, nonprofit organization for their own game. That is very messed up. So Iowa now claim the athletic department now claims that the Orange Crush purchased tickets under claiming that they were the Illinois Boys and Girls Club in order to receive a group discounted rate. Okay. Well, did the Orange Crush intentionally misrepresent themselves? I mean, how could you not in that situation? Dante Furco, I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Furco, a reporter for the Fox News affiliate in Illinois. Track down Orange Crush slash Illini Pride Vice President Kilton Raman to get his comments on the situation. And Raman, as part of his comments, revealed that the Orange Crush have in previous years purchased tickets for road games under false pretenses, under different names. Wait, so he just flat out admitted it? Well, let me get you to the quote here. Is this guy like... This what? is this is a direct quote from the Vice President of the Orange Crush. Why would he... Ad- I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Quote. We always use some type of different organization name because in the past, Iowa was a Big Ten school that wouldn't sell directly to the Orange Crush, which is understandable, Robin said. Why would they want to? But we just said we were a boys and girls club when asked what type of group we were. Hadn't had any follow-up then until yesterday when they'd already been invalidated. So essentially what the vice president here of Illinois, of the Illinois Orange Crush is claiming is that when they approach opposing teams to buy up a large group of tickets, them, yeah. and they claim that they're the Orange Crush, the athletic departments maybe aren't necessarily so forthcoming in selling such a large number of tickets to an opposing student section, basically. So he essentially claims that they try to be as evasive as possible in in order to not have that issue, essentially. Okay. And, and in the statement, and in, in this interview... He says that Iowa in the past had been a school that had given the Orange Crush some problems, allegedly. But see where the problem comes in here is <clears throat> that there's money being discounted under the pretense that they are a like nonprofit organization. Well, the vice president of the Orange Crush responded to that exact question. <laughs> okay. He said, quote, there was no malice toward the Boys and Girls Club at all. We weren't even trying to use that organization name, really. We were just trying to give vague details. It's really unfortunate that it's gotten spun this way, 
but we were absolutely not looking for a discount. We simply were looking for the, the group rate. End quote. I think... So uh, basically, I'm assuming whoever whoever made the order got on the phone with Iowa and said, hey, we're look, we're from Illinois. We're looking to buy 200 tickets for the group rate. And they said, oh, and the Iowa Athletic Department said, oh, who are you? And not wanting to reveal that they were of the from the student section, Orange Crush, and that they were really at really adamant Illinois fans, they were just like, "Oh, we're just from uh, some boys and girls club, whatever." Hmm? And the Iowa thought that meant that they were legitimately the actual boys and girls club of Illinois. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, this is weird because there there's a lot of um, I guess gray area here might be the way of putting it. Because on one hand, it's not as if like the discount that they're giving them is intended for the nonprofits. And so basically they're saving money that shouldn't be theirs. So theoretically it's funny because it goes from the start to where they're going, hey, we're yeah, out I mean, six thousand dollars. The initial statement that the Orange yeah. Crush issued was was very uh, aggressive. Yeah, really like we're you know, we're at six thousand dollars. But yeah, realistically, <clears throat> You probably ended up over the. I mean, I don't know Saving how many years they've been amount. doing this. Yeah, they've exactly. They've been doing it since 2002. So I mean, with all the tickets that you've bought since 2002, you've well, and definitely. Listen, I don't know if every year they they do this or yeah, how who knows that works, if every year but, they get a discount. But also at the same point in time, it's not as if the school. So basically, by them giving the discount, that extra money is being donated to the yeah. nonprofit. So, so I guess the Orange Crush attempted basically attempted to be sort of evasive or not or murky on who they were because they didn't want any issues with the fact that they were you know basically a, a 200 Illinois super fans coming to an opposing arena so they tried to be kind of evasive or or standoffish and not give a clear answer and the Iowa athletic department thought that they were saying that they were actually the real legitimate Illinois boys and uh, boys and girls club and then when they found out they weren't they said okay well we're just going to invalidate your tickets hmm. okay but Derek I do research on these things. Okay. I dig deep on this stuff. And in fact, there was an article written uh, in the Chicago Tribune, I think, or Chicago... What's the Chicago newspaper? I thought it, it Tribune? was the Tribune. Yeah. A reporter traveled with the Orange Crush to a 2013 game at Northwestern. So this was in 2013. So as I said, they've been doing this since 2002. An actual reporter like, basically went undercover and embedded with the Orange Crush to go to a game. At Northwestern in 2013, and in the report, in these, in the story, the reporter says that the Orange Club, the Orange Crush, for this game against Northwestern, they claimed that they were State Farm interns. Mm-hmm. So part of it, and actually, the reporter says, "quote This is what he says in the story: the Crush's annual ploy involves adopting a cover story to purchase a block of tickets. This year, they posed the State Farm interns." So. Part of this, I don't, and I don't know if they've been doing this more recently, but part of the sort of, I guess, tradition you want to want, want to call it of this of the traveling Orange Crush is that they they will go to an opposing team's arena dressed as their fans, and then they will reveal themselves as actually Illinois fans. That's what they did in 2013, and according to the story for Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So they so that that's part of it, part of why they try to be evasive is they're actually they are intentionally trying to make it to where it's like. Oh, you know, we're just regular Iowa fans, and then they go in and reveal. Okay, see, that so I get that. So I, I think everybody's a little bit at fault here. One, I, actually, no, I, I pretty much just blame the Orange Crush because here's the thing: <laughs> you don't have to use a nonprofit organization to cover yourself up. Why not just say we're state, buying again. a big group for a bunch of <laughs> Iowa fans? Again, state, How would they know? How would they again, know? Like, like State Farm intern seems. 
fairly harmless. But Boys and Girls Club, maybe not so much. Just say, like, <laughs> just uh, literally, again, just say we're having a big family reunion. Or say, <laughs> you know, we're just a big group of Iowa fans looking to go to the Iowa game. They're not going to check. They're okay. not going to do background research. So, on Friday, the Orange Crush Twitter released a follow-up statement to their statement they put out on Wednesday. And the statement they released on Friday took a very, very different tone. This is just uh, one little excerpt from the statement they put out on Friday. Quote, In planning the Orange Crush road trip, we misrepresented ourselves as another active charitable organization which exercised poor judgment. The statement read, Quote, This was our mistake for that, and we are truly sorry. So basically, they retracted essentially some of the more aggressive tones that they took and some of the more anger that they took with the Iowa Athletic Department and instead said, oh, you know, we we may have misrepresented an active charitable organization and we are sorry. Yeah. Well, whatever. So no, no Orange Crush road trip in 2023. Mm. We'll Does that see, mean they're going to do two next year? We'll have to see where they go in 2024. That has been, hey, what's going on over there? Iowa Ticket Office versus Orange Crush. Does Kansas play Illinois anytime soon? That'd be interesting. In football? On, look out. On, uh, look out, ticket people. Yeah, second game That's right game. in football. football. What if yeah. they come to the KU football game and they try to say they're here <laughs> with the, uh, I don't know, Boys with and the, Girls uh, Club of Lawrence <laughs> or, or something like that or, you know, just food? <laughs> look out. Look out, KU football ticket people. All right. Um, we have a interview with Kevin Flaherty coming up in just a second. But first, are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. Customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. And they have their happy hour super boost going on right now. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 5 and 8 Eastern or Central Time, I'm sorry, to see what prop bet will be boosted. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code KLWN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amount limits vary. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, this is RCST. <laughs> right? Almost died. We're good. Kevin Flaherty next. About 20 till 5, this is Rock Jock Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with you here. Normally Nick Springer with me. He just stepped out to get to... Uh, our high school basketball action that is uh, starting tonight at 5.30. Free State girls against Aletha South over Free State High School. 5.30 on our sister station, 929 The Bull. The boys game with Free State and Aletha South will be after that one. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Kansas takes down Texas 88-80 to last night and tightens up the Big 12 race a little bit. I guess first things first with that game, Kevin. Uh, was there anything that surprised you the most? I mean, obviously, Jalen Wilson only scoring two points and Kansas winning certainly is up there, but uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the Jayhawks win over the Longhorns last night? Sure. I, I swear, Derek, if we see any more tweets with the, if I would have told you that Jalen Wilson would score <laughs> two points, what would you have predicted? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we're going to hit a lottery somewhere, <laughs> but no, it, I mean, it, it is joke society. It is a good point because you, you think back, not just the previous game where Jalen Wilson has, has 26 and the rest of the Kansas team has 27, but 
you look at the way the different people have started to, to kind of defend Kansas and, and sort of daring that, you know, I, I don't necessarily love the term supporting cast, but daring his teammates to beat them. And, and against Kansas State, you know, Kansas beats a top 10 team at the time uh, with, with those teammates stepping up and making plays. Then the very next game, you come out, you know, kind of flat against Iowa State, and they don't make the plays, and you lose by a lot. And then, you know, sort of everything happens against Texas where you say, well, not not only, you know, do you have a situation where the teammates need to step up, but Jalen Wilson doesn't have a great game. And, and I want to – I this is going to sound strange, but I know you'll know where I'm coming from with this too – I think Jalen Wilson deserves a lot of credit too, because I think that it's very easy when you're a volume guy like Jalen Wilson is, where you know going into each game you're going to get your 15 or 16 shots. It's very easy to press when it's not there, and he took seven shots. You know, he he had some uh, had some foul trouble a little bit here and there, but he didn't really press. The looks that he got were good ones, right? And so you didn't really feel like he was out of control or like he was trying too much to to kind of leave his impact on the game. And then you just look at, at everywhere where Kansas got production. I, I think you can point to every player who saw the court and see some sort of production there, whether it were was the effort plays from Ernest Uday and, and MJ Rice, whether it's the 14 points from Joseph Yesifu, Obviously, Dewan Harris, you know, you had a couple kind of silly turnovers, obviously the full court pass, the kind of miscommunication, I think, with K.J. Adams. But other than that, that was about as sublime a job of playing point guard as we've seen from Dewan Harris. And you look at all of a sudden, over the last four games, the three that Kansas has won, he scored eight or more points. And in two of those games, the last two wins, he scored 18 against Kansas State and 17 against Texas. And I don't think he needs to be a guy scoring 17 a game for Kansas to win, but I do think that Kansas is so much more dangerous when he is out there being aggressive on offense to where defenses have to treat him as a legitimate threat. Well, now you you look at the top of the Big 12, Texas still sitting there with uh, a good mark after the, the win over K-State over the weekend. Uh, we've asked you this, I don't know, seemingly every week, every other week, something like that. If you had to re-handicap, reset the number of the amount of wins you think it takes to win the Big 12 this year, what, what are you putting it at at this point in time? You know, it might not be 12 anymore. It might, might be 13, but I think it's kind of in that range. If I were to set a betting line, it would probably be – somewhere around 12 and a half. And I think that the interesting thing is going to be with the games that that people have left, you can't take a loss that, that I, I hate to say that you're not expecting because obviously if you're a top team, you're probably not expecting to lose to anybody. But you have Kansas going to Norman. You have Kansas going to Stillwater. You have Kansas welcoming West Virginia back to Allen Fieldhouse. If Kansas is going to win the Big 12 this year, uh, I think you kind of feel like you have to go 3-0 and in those games. And I think that's not a Kansas-specific thing. That's something that you look at uh, when Kansas welcomes, uh, welcomes Texas Tech back to Lawrence, I think is another one. And I think that the way the schedule works out, 
we've seen just about everybody have some struggles, right? Where you've had this little stretch where all of a sudden you're playing two or three top 15 teams over the course of three games. And you're just hoping to get out of there, you know, one and two or whatever else. Uh, I think that there are some teams that have a little bit more forgiving schedule down the back slate. And I think that one of the interesting things is, is when you look at a team like Texas that currently leads the Big 12, that final stretch, Derek, I don't know if you've looked at it, the final four games for Texas, which is currently in first place in the Big 12, Iowa State at home at Baylor, at TCU, and then you host Kansas in the final game of the regular season. And so you figure at that point, you know, by the time they get TCU, Mike Miles is likely to be back. I saw Eddie Lampkins planning on playing this week. So you you look at all of that, and Texas, in, in order to win the Big 12, their last four games are coming against top 15 type teams. And and that's the kind of stretch that has already kind of tripped up a few teams, Kansas included. Could it be that Texas winds up dropping a game or two down the stretch the way the teams have already? Yeah, I, I really do wonder if it could come down to that Kansas-Texas game. Well, So let me ask you this. If you, if you think it could be that 12-13 range, then you know I, I don't know if me telling you, well, if Kansas goes 5-2 and two down the stretch, that put them at 12-6, and six, do you think they could win the Big 12? But what if I told you, they go five and two their last seven games, including the win in Austin. At that point, would you think it gets them at least a share? Yeah, I think so because you do make up that that one game there. I'm fascinated to see what Baylor does on the back stretch, just because everybody else it feels like is kind of bag is kind of uh, dealing with injuries and being banged up and, and not having a full complement of players. Baylor getting Jonathan Chamwachachua back. And him coming in in his first game and what making two three pointers out of nowhere. I mean, it's it's a great story, and obviously he plays the game with such great passion and everything that that you love seeing him come back. But at the same time, I, I think Baylor is one of those where, in the scenario you just you just mentioned, how Kansas fares when Baylor comes down Fieldhouse, if that's one of those five wins as well, I, I think that could wind up telling a story too. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. So if you were, I guess back to the handicapping stuff with numbers, this is a little bit different. <laughs> but, um, I mean, everybody's just so tight together right now that sure. it, it, it feels like to me that it's almost more likely that the conference ends up being a shared title than a not shared title. If you had to, you know, be the the handicapper in Vegas, what would you set the over under for the amount of teams that you think share it? Like if you had to say, Hey, big 12 teams over under one and a half over under two and a half teams share the big 12 title. What would you set that number at? I'd probably set it somewhere around two because I, or maybe even two and a half. Because I think it's either going to be two or three. I don't think there's a great chance that it winds up being one. I think the best chance for it to be one would be Texas to to close out strong and, and wind up finishing ahead of everybody. The problem is you have that stretch down, you know, down the uh, the final few weeks with Texas. The other problem there is I, I think we saw it last night. Texas isn't great defensively. You know, it, it's a team that causes some troubles for people offensively because it's almost 
it's almost kind of an NBA system, right? Like the way that they spread people out, they don't run a ton of actions, you know, maybe not as much as, as NBA teams, but it's more isolation based and saying, Hey, you're five guys on the court. One of your guys can't guard one of our guys. And we're going to attack that matchup. We're going to score through that matchup. And if you try to help, the spacing is going to be there where it's going to lead to an open shot for somebody else. And so I do think Texas causes problems offensively. As we've seen in the past, though, you usually have to have the defense to go with it. And Texas just hasn't been that team defensively, especially of late. And so I, I think if I were picking a team to say, okay, this this is the team that's that's going to win it, you would say Texas just because of where it is in the standings. The flip side of that is that I just don't see Texas getting there without without having the defense. And I think Iowa State, which has a chance to tie Texas, I think, uh, atop the standings now, I, I think Iowa State is in a situation where it's just not consistent enough. Looking at the Big 12 Player of the Year race, do you think this is one of those years, like a lot of past years we've seen, whatever team wins it, it just kind of gets defaulted to a player on that team ends up winning it. And sometimes it, it does end up being, you know, um, the best player happens to be on the team who wins it. We, we've seen that a lot. But this year specifically, because it is all so condensed, do you think this would be one of those years that bucks the trend possibly? I guess depending who wins it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on who wins it. But I, I do think the fascinating thing is I, I think you have kind of I don't think K-State is going to be there at the very end and be one of the teams tied for the title. I think Kansas has a chance to. And so Jalen Wilson, maybe, you know, you might look at Jalen Wilson and say, okay, that's, that's the best player in the Big 12 anyway, regardless of whether or not Kansas wins it. And so if Kansas wins it, I would think that, that he would kind of be a, a shoe-in or whatever. I think you have, you know, Marquise Noel sitting there and he's had a little bit of a slump lately. But, you know, similar case I think to to Trey Young where you look at it and you say, "Okay, this this guy basically has to throw up 22 points and eight assists or Kansas State is probably going to lose." And so uh, I think he's somebody that could be in that discussion, but I think even in that case, I think he gets hurt a little bit by the fact that I'm not sure that Noel is even the best player on his own team. And so it, it's kind of a, that's a really roundabout way to say that Jalen Wilson may be both the best player in the Big 12 and may wind up being the best player on the best team if Kansas winds up winning the conference. I, I think Jalen Wilson's your favorite right now. Obviously, there are enough games out there that if for whatever reason, you know, he starts to struggle and, and obviously he's carried a really big load for a lot of this year, then maybe somebody else could, could rise up. But I think if the season ended today, even with Kansas not winning the Big 12, Jalen Wilson would be your Big 12 player of the year. So it's it sounds like he, I don't know, like realistically, even if Kansas finishes two games out, he probably has the upper hand. I mean, is is sure, anybody I would, on? I would think so. Like right now, even even going into the Texas game, Texas was up two games, but you're probably taking him over Marcus Carr. Uh, what if we expanded out to uh, National Player of the Year? Obviously, Zach Eady. It's going to be hard for him not to win the award, and uh, the betting markets certainly reflect that right now. Is there any path to Jalen Wilson winning National Player of the Year? I, I don't think so. No, I, I think 
you know, Purdue is so likely to to wind up with the number one seed with Ede, with Edie being such a matchup problem the way that he is. I think if he just holds serve, it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty clear cut that he's going to be the guy. And that's fascinating to me because I think you can make a case that maybe three or so of the top five players in the country are going to be Big Ten guys in terms of the All-America team. When you look at Jalen Pickett at Penn State, when you look at Trace Jackson Davis, who's been as good as anybody in the entire country over the last you know few weeks or so, I, I still think that not only is it Edie's award to lose, I, I think Edie is so far ahead in that race that he would have to really lose it and sort of really torpedo for people to start saying, okay, you know, this is, uh, this is going to go somewhere else. And I think Purdue would probably have to torpedo. You'd probably have to see something like what you saw with UConn earlier this year, where everybody loved UConn as a candidate and they were, you know, they were up there high in the rankings and then all of a sudden the wheels kind of fell off. I think you'd almost have to see the lack of team success along with a lack of individual success for people to turn away from Zach Eady and say, okay, well, what else do we have? Looking at the AP top five right now, Purdue, Houston, Alabama, Arizona, Texas. If I, if you had to pick one of those five to be the most likely first weekend exit and one of those five to be your most likely team playing in April, which would you go with? So this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people. I'd pick Purdue to be my pick for the most likely exit out of Mm. that group. And the reason why, you know, I I think Texas has a really experienced roster. I I think, you know, the defense does need to tighten up. The Texas would be my other candidate for that. But you look at what Big Ten teams have done in the NCAA tournament, a big part of that, Derek, is is systemic. You know, they have so many of these sort of what you would call old-school big men, and then you get into the NCAA tournament, and they're getting put into ball screens 35 times, and, and they're really getting picked apart in that way. And you add in the youth of Purdue's guards and, and how they rely on those young guys I think that they kind of have that formula for being the one seed that makes it past the sweet six, makes it past the sixteen seed, excuse me, and then maybe has trouble in that eight nine game depending on on who the matchup is there. And a lot of times those are pretty dangerous teams. I think when you're when you're looking at okay, who's going to to go the furthest out of that group? Houston is is a really tough team to gauge because I get the sense they're bored, right? Like when you watch them, there's a lot of, you know, kind of, okay, we're, we're kind of gliding along and then we'll turn it up. And you look at what they did against the temple team this past weekend that actually beat Houston earlier this year. That second half was about as good as I've seen any team play this year. And, Temple, I think, is a lot more talented than, than people realize. And so Houston is the team. They've got the formula down. You think they're they're probably going to the Elite Eight, at least, if healthy. Alabama is, is fascinating because they usually defend really, really well. And so I like their chances, even if they aren't hitting shots. I think that, that they've got a chance to, to go a long way. But I think Houston is kind of the safest bet out of that group, that group to go further. If you ask me which of those five would win, you know, 
win the national title, I might say Alabama has the higher ceiling of that group. But I think that if you're saying which one is going to make the final weekend, who's the safest bet, it would probably be Houston. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work in 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. You can find him on Twitter at KFlaherty247. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. Have a good rest of your week and uh, enjoy some barbecue without me later this week. All right, will do, Derek. Right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joining us here. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. The Super Bowl comes at us on Sunday. You can hear Westwood One coverage right here on KLWN on Sunday with uh, pregame basically all day long leading up until kickoff we're joined now by a very special guest that would be one kj wright who was the super bowl champion in his days with the seattle seahawks and uh, been to a couple super bowls fantastic nfl career and really cool opportunity to talk to somebody who's been through everything the chiefs are trying to go through this very week and winning a super bowl here uh so kj appreciate you joining the show here uh, i'm curious how different when you when you get the extra week in between the games and now leading into the Super Bowl when I don't know if there's extra distractions or, or if it's difficult to maintain a normal routine, but how different is the prep for the week of the Super Bowl than maybe some of the other weeks during the regular season? I mean, it's night and day than what these guys are accustomed to. You have just so many things that happen. Once you win an NFC championship, everything starts to go crazy. People start blowing up your phone, phone tickets to the game, family trying to get situated. There's just so many things that you have to get figured out. And um, But you best believe when those guys step foot and um, on that plane and get to their final destination, they're already there. But um, it is all business. Everything is taken care of. Family is put aside. If you're not my coach, if you're not my teammate, I do not want to hear from you. And so um, you have a lot of media stuff that you have to do. But you best believe that this, like right here, right now, these guys are all the way 100% dialed in on their opponent. And so it is a lot of things that they have to do to get ready for this game. But this week, it should be strictly business. You guys just destroyed the Denver Broncos in, in the one Super Bowl. And I think kind of interesting when you just view it as, hey, the Chiefs come into this game with, you know, crazy offense and, and great quarterback with Patrick Mahomes. And obviously that's what you guys were facing. That Denver offense, uh, you know, broke all sorts of records and points and everything. You have Peyton Manning coming in and you guys completely shut them down. H- how did you all accomplish that, that insane feat? And um, did that teach you like any lessons about, I don't know, Super Bowls or, or looking to like really good offenses or, or was, I don't know, that just that special of a defense uh, that you guys had? I mean, the model is still true, and it will forever be true, that defense wins championships. And we was, when we were watching Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos on film, I was looking at Bobby, and I was like, hey, bro, this game should not even be close. Because what I was looking at on film, it wasn't just fantastic offense, but it was really bad defense on the opposite side of the football that they were playing against. And I knew going into that week that Peyton Manning and those guys have not seen anything remotely close to what we brought to the table. And so when you step into, onto this, onto this matchup, 
I look at this um, Chiefs offense and I look at the opponents they played, this is a very, very good Chiefs offense. They have been, you know, for years now. And so I know that it would not be a, a 43-8 to eight ball game if the Seahawks were playing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but um, we would have to find creative ways to slow down Patrick Mahomes, find a way to take away Kelsey, and um, it would definitely be a ball game. But um, these, this offense is very, very explosive. I believe they have to get that run game going. If they don't get Pacheco going and McKinnon going, then this Eagles defense is going to pin their ears back and find a way to get Patrick Mahomes down a few times. Yeah, as far as I guess that goes, uh, I mean, a linebacker yourself, how would you guys go about defending Travis Kelsey in this game? Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at Kelsey, this man starts to line up all over the place. He's isolated on the backside by himself. They put him at um, at the number three to isolate against linebackers. And so um, we would have to find creative ways to, to slow him down. If I was a defensive coordinator, I would get a defensive end. If he's tight to the court, I would find a way to tip this man so he does not get a free release. If he's anywhere lined up at tight end, I would drop a defensive lineman to his to his side on, on known passing downs just to give the linebackers some help. And by all means, if you're in man-to-man, do not leave a safety or a linebacker one-on-one coverage with this man because it is mismatched. If it's man-to-man coverage, you have got to double-team him. And if it's a zone coverage, find a way to chip this man or drop a defensive lineman to his side to get in in that window because we know Patrick feed him early and often. Patrick Mahomes dealing with the high ankle sprain. He played through it in the AFC Championship game. I'm sure you've played through a long list of injuries as, as any NFL player has, especially when, when you're playing at the linebacker position. But I don't know, have you have you dealt with that injury specifically, the high ankle sprain, or, or maybe at any teammates? Like, What do you think of when you see Patrick Holmes doing what he's doing on the ankle? I mean, it's very impressive, and we had to deal with our own battles in Super Bowl 49. Um, it was a Friday practice. We were on our last play of the game, and Tom Brady throwing a slant to Rob Gronkowski. Cam Chancellor and Malcolm Smith literally collided into each other, and Cam tore his MCL for the Super Bowl. I don't know if too many people knew this, but um, for him to play in that game, I don't know how he did it. That's a two- to three-week recovery, but he found a way to go out there and give his all for the football team. The week before in the NFC Championship, Sherman, uh, Richard Sherman dislocated his elbow, and he was out there playing with one arm um, to finish out that game. And so, by all means, you know, injuries is not an excuse. This is the biggest game of these guys' lifetime. No one's feeling good. And um, for Patrick Mahomes to go out there for his team to say, hey, my ankle is hurt, but I'm still going to find a way to get this job done. You know, I commend them, and this is what the great players do. Does that almost, like, raise the level of play from the other players? Because, you know, it, it is one thing for uh, a lot of the other players to play through injury. It's almost it's almost like a accepted mm-hmm. fact of the NFL, but you don't always see the quarterback doing, like, you know, sometimes you get labeled with the word soft or, or so to speak with the quarterback because they're not taking the hits in practice or anything. So is that, is that like, is that the guy, the one guy on the team who if he plays through injury, it just kind of raises the, the play or, or I don't know, the the morale, I guess, of everybody else in the locker room? Yeah, the respect. You know, when, whenever you see any guy, it doesn't matter, quarterback, center, running back, whenever you see a guy having to struggle throughout the week just to get through walkthrough, just to get through practice, to have to take those injections just to play on Sunday, your level of respect most definitely goes up for that guy because I've seen some players, I'm like, bro, you can play, and then they choose not to go out there. 
someone, whenever you see one of your guys give his all for his team, go out there with he's 70%, 60%, that respect factor goes, goes up, and it lasts for a lifetime. And so you won't feel good playing this game, but you best believe you have to give your body and everything to be, to be ready to perform on Sundays, and especially in the Super Bowl. Were there any big differences for you in the first Super Bowl to the second as far as preparation goes? Obviously, uh, the second one, you get matched up with Tom Brady, which is always a tough feat to, to have to do in the Super Bowl. But um, just as far as, I don't know, what went into the game, um, was there anything super different? Or was the second go-around, to a certain standpoint, like easier with the, the prep just because you kind of knew what to expect? Yeah, the prep the prep was very similar. Um, you know, the, you have you have the week where you go just practice against each other. Then you get on the plane, but facing a Peyton Manning versus a Tom Brady is two completely different ball games. We knew that when we faced Peyton Manning. This team was going to pass the ball. The ball is going to be in his hands. He's going to come to the line of scrimmage, makes his checks, and and do this and do that. Facing Tom Brady, it was completely different ball game. Anytime you play a New England a New England Patriots team, a Bill Belichick team, a Tom Brady team, each and every week is a different game plan. And so we knew that, okay, these going to come run with LeGarrette Blunt. Are they going to use the running back out of the backfield a lot? Are they going to um, showcase Edelman? You know, so many things presented itself. And so we knew when the, we played the different Broncos, they're going to run this, and we played them accordingly. When we faced the, the, um, the Patriots, you saw there was a different game. They put up a lot of points. And so I'm not Day quarterbacks and nine day game plan. Well, you finished out your career with the Raiders in 2021, so obviously got to to play against the Chiefs a couple times. Last year's team yep. was, or, or a couple years ago, team obviously a little bit different now because of the Tyreek Hill factor. What were kind of the the conversations in the meeting room about how you would try to defend the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill, and how do you think that has changed this year without him? I mean, you should see defensive coordinators anytime we play the Chiefs when they have Tyreek Hill. I mean, these guys are just shaking in their boots. It's like, what do we do? How do we stop these guys? Do we run cover three? Do we run quarters and keep everything in front of us? If we get too deep, he's just going to drop the ball off to Kelsey and isolate us against the linebackers. If we play cover three and leave our corner isolated, he's just going to throw a deep ball to Tyreek Hill. And so it was a nightmare playing that offense. I played them last year. And um, they put up 40 points on us in both those games. That was with, without um, Tyreek Hill. And so I'm um, definitely one of the most explosive offenses that I've ever played. And they don't run traditional-style football, right? They do so many different things to just where you can't get a beat on what's coming next. And so I'm um, definitely one of the greatest play callers I've ever played against and one of the greatest quarterbacks. And um, there's going to be a lot of points put up on Sunday. We're talking with K.J. Wright here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, do you have any fun stories from those games playing the Chiefs? Any, uh, I don't know, fun stories from the Chiefs side of things? Any big trash talkers on Kansas City side or anything? I, I mean, I, I kid you, I kid you not. When I played my last year with the Raiders, uh, we were we did something so dumb. We went there and just stepped on you guys' logo. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> that, but we stepped on y'all logo at the fifty yard line, and um, I'm like, bro, what are we doing? Like. Well, first of all, we're not that good to be doing this, and we're about to play a really good team. And I kid you not, you guys put up, I swear, like 45 points, and they started playing this song in like the fourth quarter, and the whole crowd was just dancing, mocking us, mimicking us on the sideline. They would point their fingers at us. I've never been that embarrassed in a football game, probably in my lifetime. I'm not used to getting blown out. And so um, we learned a hard lesson that day. Don't step on anyone's logo, especially if it's Kansas City Chiefs. 
Uh, do you, do you have a, I don't know, was there a realization for you? It, it, maybe it would have been when you were with Seattle. I think you guys played uh, Patrick Mahomes his first year as a starter back whatever that would have been, 2018, 2019. Uh, what was the realization for you when you realized that this kid was, was going to be something special? Yep, that was 2018, and just watching him on film. Well, first of all, we heard about Patrick Mahomes when Alex Smith was the starter. Like, word got around, like, man, this guy is legit. This guy's special. He's, like, dicing up guys in practice. And so we heard about him even before he was um, a, a starter. And so we stepped with him on the football field. He's just a magician. He's so poised. He's athletic. He can make any throw, whether it's from the pocket, whether he's scrambling. And so when you talk about this generation, he is the future of quarterbacks, and this is the standard of what it's supposed to look like. And so I'm just an honor to play with him on the football field, one of the best to do it. And so he got to get this Super Bowl. If he wants to add to that legacy, add to his resume, these, these opportunities do not come easy. So he's got to find a way to seal this deal and get this second Super Bowl under his belt. Yeah, I think that's something interesting you, you bring up there because, I mean, when you guys go to back-to-back Super Bowls, you win the first one over Denver, uh, even after you lost to the Patriots in that second one, was, was kind of the vibe that offseason, like, oh, of course we'll be back. But obviously it's, it's very difficult to go back. Yeah, and in the fashion that we lost, right? Like, we lost in the one-yard line to a very poor decision. And so what happened with us was we divided as a team. We didn't trust each other. We didn't we didn't look at each other the same. Like, how can you take away this moment like that from us off of a really bad decision? And so um, the vibes just fell apart on that football team. All that high fun and loving each other, that was no longer. And so, yeah, it was hard to get back. The whole team had to just, you know, Lead Cam left, Sherm left, Cliff left, and um, we never was able to get back, you know, to the promised land. So when you do get there, you got to find a way to get it done. And when you do have an opportunity to seal the deal, just make really good decisions to put your team in a position to win it. Well, this Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Seven, Chiefs and the Eagles. What what do you think is going to be the biggest determining factor in which team comes out on top? I, I'm telling you, I know that Andy Reid does not like to do this. The enemy does not like to do this but they have got to get Pacheco going. He has got to get some carries, at least 15 to 18 carries to keep that defensive line honest. Because if you let these guys pin their ears back and just get Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be a long day. And so keep these guys off balance, run the ball, get creative in that run game, set up some easy third downs so Patrick Mahomes can execute. So the name of the game in this game is going to be third down conversions. Let's see um, how well they do staying on the field, keeping these drives going, and then they'll drive the ball up and down the football field. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that pass rush is going to be interesting. And we saw a couple of years ago, Patrick Mahomes kept getting chased around in the Super Bowl against the Bucs. That didn't go so well. So uh, they've shored up mm-hmm. the offensive line since then. We'll, we'll see how much that matters. Do, do you have an official pick for the Super Bowl? Man, um, I've been saying Philly this whole time, but I just I watched the interviews um, this this past week, and I just look at Patrick Mahomes, and I just think there's something special about this dude. I just believe he's ready for this moment. He hears the noise of you know everyone scouting him, and I believe that Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way to get this to get this football game won. And so it would not be easy. It's going to be a close battle. It's going to be high scoring. So I got the Eagles winning by three points on Sunday. I mean, excuse me, the Chiefs winning by three points on Sunday. There we go. Uh. Does this Super Bowl remind you of, of either of your Super Bowls? I guess um, if if you are going the Chiefs, maybe it would lean toward your, your second one where, I don't know, you could probably argue you guys had the better team, but 
Tom Brady's on the other side. Maybe the Eagles have the better team, but Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. Or you could go to your first one where, yeah, you do have the the really good defense against a, a really electric quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. Which of those two do you, does this maybe remind you more of? Oh, that's a tough one. I would I would say probably the first one. I would say the first one because of the style of play from the offense. Um, high flying is going to be shotgun majority of the time. You know, two really great quarterbacks going at it. Even the Broncos then had a pretty pretty good defense as well. And so um, this definitely reminds me of the first one. A lot of build up, a lot of hype of uh, what's going to be better: offense, defense. How it's going to play out. And so um, when I look at this matchup, it definitely reminds me of Super Bowl Forty Eight. Awesome. Well, KJ, I appreciate you sharing some time with me today and uh, have fun making the rounds around Super Bowl week here and uh, enjoy whatever you're doing. Uh, Before I let you go, do you have a favorite Super Bowl appetizer now that you get to enjoy the Super Bowl just as, uh, I guess, a fan? Yeah, I well for me last year we had a big fish fry, so we're gonna have catfish, hush puppies, um, cold slaw. We're gonna do it big this uh, Super Bowl, so I'm gonna do that again this go round. So that's gonna be on my on my dinner menu come Sunday. <laughs> sounds that sounds perfect. Well, KJ again, appreciate the time, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. That was KJ Wright, former Seattle Seahawk, Las Vegas Raider, two-time Super Bowl uh, appearer. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. One-time Super Bowl champ with the uh, Seattle Seahawks for joining the show to talk a little Super Bowl. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boost. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. So, that means... 5 to 8 p.m. Central Time to see what prop bet will be boosted. You can bet on all the different stuff. I like some of the touchdown bets. Kadarius Tony, 4 to 1 touchdown. Jet McKinnon around 2 to 1. Maybe one of those two hits. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code KLWN. New customers can bet $5 on the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57, get 200 and free bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem, getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. Opt-in required for odds boost. Bet type and amount limits vary. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com. Football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. This is RCST.